0: Hello, everyone. I am C.P. Leslie, the host of New Books in Historical Fiction. Today I'm delighted to interview Laurie R. King, the author of Garment of Shadows, the 12th in her award-winning Mary Russell series, which began with The Beekeeper's Apprentice. The beekeeper is Sherlock Holmes. Yes, that Sherlock Holmes, who in book one has retired from detecting to settle into a comfortable middle age in pursuit of his favorite hobby. Or so he thinks until the tumultuous entrance of young Mary Russell. First a student, then his soulmate and wife. Mary is a female Sherlock, and the books in the series are ostensibly her memoirs, written in old age. In Garment of Shadows, Mary and Holmes have made their way to Morocco in the train of a moving picture company, Flight Films. When the book opens, Holmes has just discovered that Mary is missing. Preface The big man had the brains of a tortoise, but even he was beginning to look alarmed. Sherlock Holmes drew a calming breath, then another. It had seemed such a simple arrangement. If Mary Russell chose to submit to the whimsy of flight films as it finished its current moving picture, that was fine and good, but there was no cause for her husband to be tied down by her eccentricities. Not with an entirely new country at his feet. He'd never been to Morocco. After some complex marital negotiations, he promised to return at an agreed-to time and place, which was here and today except she was not there. He started again. So she left her tent that night, after dark. Oui, monsieur. And was still gone the next morning. Oui, monsieur. She spoke to no one, merely left a brief note to say that she was going to Fez. The man nodded. The filming ended. The rest of Flight's crew came back here. No one thought this odd. And all you have to say is that my wife was last seen walking into the desert in the company of a child, three days ago. Morocco might be a small country, but it was plenty big enough to swallow one young woman. Russell, he thought, what the devil are you up to? Let me mention that even though Garment of Shadows is the 12th book in the series, it's a great place to start if you haven't encountered Holmes and Russell before, because at the beginning Russell has suffered a concussion that robs her of her memory, and the reader learns or relearns about her past as she does. I have loved these books since I first discovered them back in what seems now to be that long-ago time when we still had a local borders shelved with aisles and aisles of great books. But before you dash off to your keyboard to order copies of your own, please join me in welcoming Laurie R. King to New Books in Historical Fiction.
1: Hi, Laurie. Hello, Carolyn.
0: I'm so grateful that you agreed to talk to us today. I'm sure that there will be a lot of listeners out there who have already read your books and others who will now want to read your books once they hear how fascinating they are. Um I'd like to begin where I always begin uh, by asking you to talk a little bit about yourself and how you came to write the Russell Holmes series and your other books. Once upon a
1: time. <laughs> um I I was um uh, I, I am what my daughter calls a um a recovering academic. Um I had a degree in in comparative religion from the University of California Santa Cruz, and I went on to do a master's in Old Testament theology from the Graduate Theological Union in Berkeley. And um, at the at the end of that, as you can imagine, I was hugely qualified for unemployment. And um, as as many people do, um, we looked around and, and thought, "Well, one one thing I can do um, is." write a sentence in English so I I sat down and I wrote I was 15 when I first met Sherlock Holmes 15 years old with my nose in a book as I walked the Sussex downs and nearly stepped on him and with that I grasped the idea of voice and um, started following the voice of Mary Russell um, in, in my head uh, th- those of us who are writers, we have this shorthand of speaking as if our characters are alive. Don't worry, we don't actually think that. But <laughs> but, but it's a way of talking about um, the experience of coming across a character when you haven't laid it out, when you haven't put out the details on a piece of paper, when you haven't mulled over exactly how you want it to come into life. But instead, when you open up to um, the possibilities in fiction, And so Mary Russell um, walked onto the page and I followed her through the 200 odd pages of what became The Beekeeper's Apprentice. Um, That book introduces her to Sherlock Holmes. She is 15, as you heard. Um, The year is 1915, so the Great War is going on on the other side of uh, the channel. And... Holmes is in a state of um, (laughs) chronic irritation, one might say. Um, He is feeling very much left on the back burner of life. And I think this reflects what Conan Doyle was feeling with his own character, with, with Sherlock Holmes, because as far as Conan Doyle was concerned, um, there there really wasn't a place for a man like Sherlock Holmes in the post-war Britain. There were huge changes that took place in Britain during the Great War. Um, not only did an entire generation more or less um, die, but you had economic, social, political shift um, that went on that I, looking back at my own choices and the choices that Conan Doyle made, I think that Conan Doyle just couldn't get his head around the idea that this character of his would adapt. Um, As far as he was concerned, Sherlock Holmes was a a Victorian, um, a middle-aged Victorian who, who barely managed to make it into the Edwardian era. But when it came to the modern 20th century, it just really had no place. So even though he continued writing stories on into the 20s, his character was pre-war. Well, I didn't think too much about it when I first started. I, um, uh, <laughs> as, as you might imagine, somebody just sits down and starts writing a character Um, doesn't think much about um, what she's doing with the other characters as well. So I wrote wrote The Beekeeper's Apprentice and I wrote the second one without really thinking too much about Sherlock Holmes as a character. Um, He was a supporting actor. He was the paradigm for Mary Russell. That is, they're very similar people. Um, But she is distinctly 20th century. She's a 20th century young female feminist version of the great detective. And the two of them are interesting together in a way that they wouldn't be if I just had written a Mary Russell novel without Holmes. But it it isn't until I got a few of the books behind me that I began looking more closely at the character of Holmes and his possibilities, um, and I realized that there were a lot of things that could be done with Holmes, a lot of ways of developing the character that Conan Doyle just turned his back on. So I pick up Holmes and I allow allow him to um, to grow as a person, and I allow him and Mary Russell to um, to to teach each other. About, um, the possibilities in life and relationships and, and of course, because these are mysteries uh, and about crimes. Um, so that's, that's where the books began. I started writing them. I wrote The Beekeepers of Frennes. was the first one. And the second one picks up three years later when, um, their relationship is, is sort of establishing itself. Um, And that one one was called A Letter of Mary. And I went back afterwards and wrote the one that goes between them, called A Monstrous Regiment of Women, because I wanted to see how they got from A to C and had to fill in B. But I I needed to write. (laughs) This will sound so strange. I I needed to write um, the later book first um, in order to see where they stood when they were both um, in a mature relationship. So that's that's how those three books developed. Um, and after that, they, they just continued going on. Um, I send them around the world a lot. Uh, the Beekeeper's Apprentice has a chapter or so when they need to get out of England for a time. And so they go off to what was then called Palestine um, and have various adventures. But in The Beekeeper's Apprentice, it's a relatively... Um, sketchy. It's just just a minor outline of what it is they did, um, because I, I thought that that adventure in Palestine would be a no- novel length, and being being Laurie King rather than Stephen King, I, I didn't think anyone would be very interested in a first novel that had nine hundred pages. <laughs> <laughs> so. Um, so I, I, I made it just the, the Palestine section very, very short um, and then went back to it in the mid-90s um, and and looked at their time there. So that really started me on my international um, side of the Russell and Holmes novels. They, the two of them go to Palestine. Later on, they go to, uh, to, to India. Um, they spend some time in San Francisco, which to them is quite foreign. Um, that's I, I live near San Francisco, and my mother and my grandmother were both born there. And uh, and there's various other parts of the world that they touch here and there. Um, the Pirate King, two years ago, they went to Lisbon, and uh, and it ended up in Morocco. And then this last book, Garment of Shadows, they were in Morocco. So um, I think that the next one will probably. Pick up an adventure that was skipped over um, in Japan. So we write around the world, and um, it keeps it keeps things interesting. I think it's it, that's always the tough part in a series, isn't it? To to keep a, a, a different texture from one book to the next um, when you're working with basically the same characters. How do you make it new and exciting? Not only for the reader, but for the writer. Um, I, I have a low threshold of boredom, and <laughs> I, I need to go to different parts of the world in order to give myself a kickstart. So that's really how I got started.
0: That's great. You you raise so many themes in there that I'm going to have to pick them out one by one. But but do you go to all of these places to? Um...
1: I do not write about places that I haven't, as I say, at least driven through by daytime. Um, <laughs> the um, the the quality of a of a place that you're writing about um, is so subtle that I find it extremely difficult to settle into an area that I haven't spent some time in, um, whether it's Dartmoor or Morocco. Um, so, yeah, I tend to write about places that I've been to. There's there's a couple of exceptions in the books um, that I've done, not not in the Russell books so much, but in in the other in the standalone novels. But for the most part, yeah, I. I I do my homework by traveling, traveling and dragging a suitcase behind
0: behind
1: mm-hmm. me.
0: So let me go back to the um, the point that you made about Holmes, which I thought was really interesting about him being in Arthur Conan Doyle's mind um, unsuitable for for World War One or to survive World War One in a sense. Uh, and then you're giving him the opportunity to grow and his relationship with Russell more specifically, because when it begins, he's never really a father figure to her, but I think he is a teacher at the beginning, and then their relationship grows.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, I I don't know that you could say Conan Doyle was very interested in developing the character of Holmes at all. Mm Mm-hmm. He, he, in fact, never really took Holmes very seriously. He regarded him as a lesser creation. He regarded his um, rather turgid historical novels as being of greater importance. Um, all the Conan Doyle novels that nobody reads now. And, um, and happily killed him off when he thought he might be able to survive financially without him, um, which did not prove the case. But he... As far as developing a character or taking him seriously um, as a way of exploring um, Britain or relationships or any of the other things that I think crop up in, in, in my own stories, um, I, that, that wasn't what Conan Doyle was doing. The character development in Holmes is pretty much accidental and peripheral. Um, you occasionally get... These startling glimpses of the man, um, his humor, and his um, his attachment to Doctor Watson, um, his passion for justice, um, and I think it's fair to say you are always aware of those. Um, Conan was a master at writing um, the understated you You have a very real sense of um of Sherlock Holmes as a person, even though Conan Doyle is not writing about Sherlock Holmes as a person he's writing about the adventures um which is fascinating and i and i and I sort of suspect that if Conan Doyle had suddenly decided to take Holmes seriously, he would have blown it.
0: I suspect he would have. I mean, I was thinking about this in particular. One of the things I mentioned when I was um, communicating with you was that I had not seen the new CBS show, Elementary. And so I went off and watched a couple of them, and I was very struck by the fact that I personally did not like the Sherlock Holmes stories, the original ones. Um, I keep trying to read them because I read another Mary Russell book and I think, you know, I should go back and read the originals (laughs) and I never really liked them. And I had the same reaction to the TV show. It's, it's very well written. It's beautifully acted. And yet Holmes there seems to me to be this very flat person. You know, he's just not emotionally developed and, that's the impression I have of the Conan Doyle stories, too. And, and it was the absence of that, the fact that we, we see him initially through Russell's eyes and primarily through Russell's eyes, um, gives him a kind of humanity that he just, to me, doesn't have in most of the books about him.
1: I think the, the one adaptation that really, really captures that is the BBC one with Benedict Cumberbatch. I think that that series um beautifully manages that balance between straightforward storytelling i mean these are adventures
0: mm-hmm.
1: and yet you you very definitely get a sense of um of the main character's drives and ambitions and um loves and hates even though he himself would say he has no loves or hates or ambitions. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> but and that's I, the I important think... thing is to sense it even if the character you know, it's like Spock of Vulcan. I mean he obviously admits he has no emotions and yet he very obviously does have them and that's what makes him interesting.
1: Right. Yeah, yeah. I think in general that is what makes the character of Holmes interesting is that you you get the sense almost despite the author, you get the sense of this um, man of huge passions that are tightly um, controlled, and, um, and and as I said, I'm not I'm not sure that Conan Doyle did that deliberately. I don't know that he was that that good a writer, but it's there anyway,
0: which gives you raw material to work with, which is even better.
1: I I am so happy for that. Yes. <laughs>
0: So let's talk about Russell, because, I mean, Russell is an amazing achievement, I think, because she really is, as you say, she's a modern um, female, uh, young Sherlock Holmes um, in so many ways. But she's also, when we first meet her, she's 15. But then by the second book, I think she's already at Oxford, right? She's 18 in the second book. And she becomes a biblical scholar.
1: As one does.
0: As one does. It is
1: amazing. How, how often one's characters reflect the, um, the the interests of the the author herself? Uh, it's an amazing coincidence, don't you think?
0: Absolutely. Well, you know they say write what you know. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us. I mean, it's obviously why she became a biblical scholar. But but tell us about her because she doesn't always in every book get a chance. For example, in Garment of Shadows, she doesn't really get a chance to strut her her academic stuff. But. Um, it's there. It's it's an important part of her.
1: It's it, yeah. I. It's one of those areas. I because of my background. Obviously, I am I am interested in um, the religious and theological history of of my characters and in their situations and where they move in the world. It doesn't always work into the books. So probably about half the books I do have some kind of overlap with religion or theology um but i i found this um one of the interesting possibilities in in russell when i was starting out that is you want your main character in a mystery to be to some extent an outsider it's it's not easy to get um to to get a lot of fun vibes going on with somebody who is a mainstream investigator. Um, with somebody like Russell, because she's an outsider in so many ways, she's lost her family. She's a Jew in a country that is that has a state religion of the Anglican Church. Um, she is from America for the most part and living in Britain. So she's she's really... A solitary individual. Um, And at 15, that's a very vulnerable age. So, um, you know, when she meets Holmes, there has to be certain areas where she is herself and she is not an imitation Holmes. One of those areas, I mean, in addition to um, feminism, obviously, <laughs> um, one of those areas is her interest in, in theology um, and her tentative explorations into being a, a religious person. She's, she's not quite convinced of, of the value of religion, but she does follow the theological interests, the more academic side of things, um, which is... Is a point of um, of contrast between her and Holmes because he he isn't. I mean, there's one speech in the Conan Doyle stories where he reflects on how a rose is a is a bit of goodness that um, that is unnecessary and therefore um, a reflection of the divine, and not in so many words, but that's what he's saying. Um, but you you kind of when you're reading this section, you 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 almost get the feeling that um, that he's putting on an act because it's so non-Holmesian. It's definitely Conan Doylean, but <laughs> but it's just not something that you would expect from Holmes. Is this reflection on the goodness of God to have given us roses? No, it doesn't sound like. Um, that. And no, no. Um, I, I mean, I. I would argue that it is him, him but it, it isn't an obvious side of him. But because of my own background, because of um, Russell's status as an outsider, I found that that theology was an interesting way to explore both her as a person and the differences between her and and Holmes. And as the series went on, it also offered me a number of ways into various cultures so that when they go off to palestine um you get this permeation of islam into the stories um which again shows up in in garment of shadows um so that it 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 gives me a lot of ways to explore time place and person um that i think someone without a, a background in theology would have to overlook
0: um yes and i think I mean, some of the novels have explicitly addressed it. A Letter of Mary was one of my favorites precisely because it it explores the possibility of an ancient manuscript uh, containing a text that actually has come to light and been published. I mean, not necessarily the text that you were writing about, but um, a a gospel of Mary Magdalene that is now known from the Gnostic Gospels.
1: Yeah. Let's not go into details. No, no, no. (laughs)
0: We won't go into those details. Um, apart from anything else, it's a while since I read that one. I reread some of the books so that I could talk to you about them. But they were mostly the ones that are specifically connected with *Garment of Shadows*. So I read *Letter of Mary* quite a long time ago. Uh, but I think also I mean, something that you hinted at, which is very interesting, is that precisely because Russell is uh, Jewish and an Anglican, living in an Anglican culture she has a very uh, ecumenical approach to religion uh, whether it's islam or anything else and this is one of her strengths that she goes from society to society, society and she's almost studying them as cultures uh, rather than participating in them
1: yeah um it's something that um that my my husband used to um puzzle his students with he taught religion at the at UC Santa Cruz and he himself was an ordained Anglican who had friends and professional contacts in all kinds of different traditions um, he grew up in northern India and so you know for example from the time he was born his his milk mother that is your your Alternate nursing partners, so that if your mother got ill, you could you could have a source of of um, source of nourishment. His his milk mother was um, was Muslim, and so that therefore meant that his his sort of more or less brother um, was Islamic, and from there he moved in a circle of. Um, you know hindu and muslim and zoroastrian um he went to africa and uh lived among um traditional uh african traditional religion <clears throat> he came to california and found god knows what
0: <laughs> <laughs> i <laughs> and, have to know uh, the california so i know what you mean
1: yeah yeah well what whatever you can have it's here um he found it much easier to speak with someone who was uh, profoundly committed to even a different religious tradition than it was to speak with someone who was not committed to his own. So that he had much more in common with a devout Muslim or or the Dalai Lama, Than he did with somebody who sort of gave up going to church so that when he would talk to his students and say, it doesn't matter what you commit yourself to. You just need to commit yourself to his students took this as being, um, it doesn't matter what religion you are. They're all the same, which is not the same thing at all. Right. Um, that, that it's the commitment that counts, um, and the exploration of your your tradition um rather than just a pick and choose approach and i and i think that that is something that comes into the russell books to some extent that um you know russell although she you know she has problems with the idea of being a religious person she's not a terribly observant jew has been known to eat bacon <laughs> um, she she nonetheless uh, responds to anyone who has a profound uh, footing in a religious tradition, whether it's uh, you know wh- whether it's one of the Western religions or mm-hmm. otherwise. That the the next Russell I write will be um, set in part in Japan, and that will be interesting to see.
0: It will. I'm looking forward to it. And I know a lot of your readers are looking forward to it because on Goodreads I keep seeing messages saying, when are we going to find out what happened in Japan? (laughs) (laughs) But um, so here is... Patience, Sorry? Patience, patience. (laughs) (laughs) Let that anticipation build, absolutely. Um, So let's talk a little bit about Garment of Shadows because we take these two people now. We have Mary... Uh, Russell, who is by this time in 24. It was so nice of you to have her born in 1900 because I can always do a sort of mental check as to what year it is and how old she is. Very convenient. Very. Um, so she has gone to Morocco with um, flight films. And if people want to know how she got to Morocco, they have to read Pirate King. And that will tell them. And uh, But then, but you can read Garmin of Shadows without having read Pirate King, uh, because uh, the first thing we discover is that Mary is missing. Um, that's in the preface that I have read um, at the beginning of the podcast. And so Mary comes to not knowing
1: who she is. <laughs> Laurie King does amnesia.
0: Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but so tell us, where is she? What is going on in Morocco in 1924 that should concern Sherlock Holmes and Mary Russell?
1: Oh, there's always something that concerns that that to that, that pair. Um, I I wrote the Pirate King as um, as a sort of reset to the series. It was you know getting on to 10, 11 books, and. I thought that the series had been getting increasingly, uh, increasingly solemn. They were, um, hey, they had sort of gone from being these lighthearted romps to being more or less serious uh, detective stories. And i i wanted I wanted Russell's voice back, so i I reset the series with Pirate King, um, and made it a farce. I mean, everything about the book is a farce. They, they. She gets involved in a sil- silent film crew. They um they, they decide to make a remake of Gilbert and Sullivan's Pirates of Penzance. They decide to go to Lisbon for God knows what reason. Um Realism. They, they end- realism. Yeah, well, you know, there's, there's actually no Portuguese in Pirates of Penzance, but they, they they end up there anywhere. Meet um meet the poet laureate of of Portugal, the self-proclaimed poet laureate of Portugal, and and end up getting immersed in actual pirates. So the the whole thing is is meant to be a delicious farce. Um, I I fear that some people didn't completely get the joke, but nonetheless, I had a really great time with it.
0: Well, before you go any further, let me tell you that the first time I read it, my expectations were so high. That it was not my favorite book in the series, and I actually was planning just to skim it, because uh, it was the immediate lead-in to Garment of Shadows, and I got, you know, like five pages in, and I was completely hooked, and I thought, why didn't I see this the first time? It's hilarious.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I'm so glad you persisted, Carolyn. That makes me...
0: (laughs) So I'm hoping that when I, you know, plaster this all over the internet, all of those people who were complaining will go back and take a second look.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, it it, it is a very different book. And if you if you loved, um, you know, Language of Bees and God of the Hive, it's 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 a startling change. It's a whole different face to Mary Russell. But having hit that reset button and more or less got it out of my out of my system, um, I I told. Random House, that I would do another one, um, you know, because that by that time I had done three Mary Russell novels in a row, which I don't really like to do more than one, alternating with something else. But I'd done three in a row, and I said, okay, I will do fourth one because it get for two reasons. One of them, it gets me um, back into the series, and it's it's a sort of classical Russell and Holmes story, like. The game was exotic place, um, you know, international repercussions, um, interesting people, all the rest of it. But um, I, I also said yes because when I was was researching um, Pirate King, and yeah, I did research it, even though it was a farce. I went to Lisbon, and I decided I, w- I wanted to go to Morocco. Partly it was a holiday, a ten day holiday, but also because I had discovered there was this pirate um, city on the coast of Morocco that I could make use of. So I went there to look at it. Um, And and then we traveled up to Fez. and We had to choose when we went, because we only had 10 days. We had to choose between Fez and Marrakesh. And Marrakesh has this lovely ring to it. But we decided, you know, one or the other, we do Fez. It's the most fabulous city in the world it's a medieval town streets too narrow to 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 fit um anything bigger than a motorcycle um a medieval town with wireless cafes and of course you can't actually get an internet connection at your wireless cafes but you, you know they have great coffee and tea so I went there and, and discovered Fez, and I thought, I must write a Morocco book. So I, I, I told my editor, okay, you can have a fourth Russell. It'll be set in Morocco. I have no idea what it's going to be about. But when I, when I started doing a little research, thinking, if Morocco is in a really boring state in 1924, I'm going to be in deep trouble. And to my immense pleasure, discovered that um, Morocco was having a civil war. Very nice of them to arrange one the year that I needed it.
0: Very so, thoughtful, really.
1: It really was. I mean, I'm really sorry for the people, but for my purposes, it couldn't have been at a better time. So I, I immersed myself in the Reef Revolt of 1924 and, uh, and went on from there.
0: Okay. Um, I don't know how much of the story you want to tell us. Do you want to just stop with the plot at this point, or shall we talk about
1: the, some of the details? Well, when I, you know, when I started looking at the Reef revolt, um because, of course, most people in this part of the world um, haven't a clue what was going on anywhere in Africa during um, d- during the 20s. And so... It wasn't all that unlikely that Russell wouldn't have any clue either. But as I thought about the city of Fez and its labyrinth of tiny streets and its complete puzzlement as to how the city works as well as it does, it it seemed to me that any Westerner would walk into it as a completely blank slate. I mean, you any Preconceptions you have when you go there are are just going to end up in the air by the time you've spent ten minutes in the city. So it seemed to me that just pushing Russell into it um, with with no idea of what she's getting into was particularly appropriate, and I just took that a little further than usual and made her have no idea of anything. (laughs) So she wakes up um, uh, with amnesia. She doesn't know who she is. She doesn't know why she has blood on her hands. She doesn't know why these soldiers who are pounding on the door alarm her so. All she knows is she she has this very strange skill set although being the 20s doesn't use that phrase. This very very strange set of um, of skills and abilities and languages at her command um, that she gradually pieces together um, who she is, what she should be doing and um, a- and um, at the same time you've got poor old Holmes looking for her because he 's thinking surely she should have t- turned up by now, and she hasn't so the story is told from as a couple of the earlier books um, had. His point of view, in addition to hers, um, which enables me to do a lot of things that i I couldn't do in just the books that are from her entire entirely her point of view
0: right it certainly opens up his his mode of thinking and his feelings about her and stuff like that that you can't you couldn't deduce from what she says, but there's always a possibility I, that she hasn't gotten it right i'm I'm afraid that no
1: matter what he thinks he does actually have feelings for her yes he does. <laughs>
0: So the, complica- the politics uh, in this novel are almost as complicated as the streets, and I have to say, you did a wonderful job of conveying it through dialogue. I'm currently writing a book about uh, Tatars on the steppe in the 16th century, and of course, nobody knows anything about them, and so oh, trying yeah. to, you know, get it across what the stakes are and what it means that you know character X is doing Y, it's 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 an effort. I mean, it really takes a lot. So, but you did a wonderful <laughs> job.
1: Thank God for good editors. Um, I have a really, really fine editor. And, uh, it, you know, when you've, when you've written something yourself, it's almost impossible to be objective about it. And that's, you know, to have an editor who says, this doesn't work, this is too turgid, this is, you know, you need some action here, you, you need to cut down that description there, um, is, is so helpful. That's
0: great. Um, but I also wanted to talk a little bit about what the politics are. I mean, b- without going into your plot, just the, the, the general setup. I mean, we've got France, we've got Spain, we've got the Reefy, we've got the Brits sort of hanging around the edges looking nervous, there were the Germans with their copper mines. It was copper
1: mines, right? Right. Yeah. Um, and, and again, this is one of those areas that no nobody knows about. Um, because, well, nobody in this country in, in the United States knows about Certainly, because we just I mean, we have no political Interest there and haven't since about This this time um, But yes this, this revolt, the Reef Revolt In many ways laid the groundwork For um, Colonial Responses um, Throughout the 20th century, that is a lot of groups looked at this rebellion and took lessons from it. These these two brothers um, were sort of native-grown um, military geniuses, and they turned a you know a ragtag group of unrelated uh, tribes into an army. And um, although they didn't actually win the revolt, they came about as cl- close as uh, as you could expect. The situation in 1924 is you have Spain that controls the, the Mediterranean uh, slice of Morocco, and Morocco is the upper left corner of Africa. So the Mediterranean coastline... Is controlled by Spain because England couldn't stand the idea of having France across the water from them at Gibraltar. Um, the rest of Morocco is under French control, and in the middle is the are the reef mountains, and um, the reef mountains bear the brunt of um, of a lot of Spanish um, acquisition. And um, and mistreatment. The Spanish were very hard on the Rifí, and um, and they and they finally stood up against them and um, and rose up. Well, if they had managed to avoid bringing France into it, they might have won. But that became more and more difficult. Um, the the French side of Morocco as chance would have it, was under a particularly enlightened rule. Um, it was not actually treated as a colonial um, possession. It was treated as a protectorate. And the um, the the leader of the French government there was a man named Liotet, who just happened to be one of those remarkable men who as respect and understanding for um the people that he's put in charge of, and uh, i I just was so pleased to be able to find this guy and and work with him as it were on the page
0: and so convenient that he turns out to be related to Holmes
1: well, you know it's funny. <laughs> <laughs>
0: One other person I'd like to talk about um, before we we shift off into something else is Mycroft Holmes, who uh, is quite a a presence in the series. He's he's only mentioned in passing. He's not in Morocco, so he's only mentioned in passing in this particular book. But he is also, I, I have the impression that he and Mary don't hit it off all that well.
1: Well it, it, Mycroft is a terribly convenient character for um, the, the kinds of books that I want to write because he he can just sort of wave his hand and send people off to various parts of the world so he 's proved very uh, very useful to me um, but at a certain point you have to um, you, you have to wrestle with the fact that this man mycroft Holmes has more power than he should and what kind of um, what kind of result does that have in the sorts of actions that he takes? So that in um, in the, the last one before they took off into Pirate King, um, God of the Hive, you get this very clear sense that uh, that Russell and Mycroft are um, are headed for a locking of horns. Um, and they they haven't done it yet, but I have a feeling that's going to come around because, um, you know, she is seeing just what that kind of unbridled power, um, can, can lead to and isn't always pleased with it. it. it will be a pity if she manages to come out um, you know, on top because then I won't be able to have Mycroft send them around places. So <laughs> it, it, it may not come for a couple of books.
0: <laughs> He'll have to become ever more de- devious.
1: <laughs> yes. yes.
0: <laughs> I can't imagine him just standing by and letting the slip of a girl tell him what he can and can't do.
1: No, I don't think so. All right.
0: So I should mention before um, we say goodbye that the, the as fascinating as the Russell Holmes mysteries are, they're not the only ones that you write. You have is it four uh, starring Kate Martinelli, which are contemporary, and then there's one of those which has a Holmes component to it, *The Art of Detection*. And you right. also have a 1920s, a no, I'm sorry, a novel set in 1926, which is completely independent, but I understand is about to get a sequel. Then the name of that
1: is *Touchstone* yeah touchstone um touchstone was my um was my 911 book was my book looking at um the why of terrorist acts um it's set during the um during the general strike in britain in 1926 when the the strikes that crippled britain um people saw them as a, a real communist threat. They honestly believed that Britain was about to become uh, Bolshevik. And because of that fear, you get this upsurge of what became British fascism. So it's this really key and fascinating point in British history um, in, in April 1926. So I'm, I'm, doing a series, it, there will be a series of maybe four or five books altogether in the period between the wars. Um, so that Britain was, um, was 1926. And it, the main characters in that are Harris Stuyvesant, who is an ex American Bureau of Investigation agent. Um, uh, what became the FBI. Um, investigating a, a bomber who has been working in America but seemed to be um, coming from Britain. And that's how he, he gets into the story. Um, he, at the time, meets a man who, whose traumatic injuries in the trenches uh, um, rendered him extremely sensitive to um, to, to all of the input of his senses. Um, He he hears and feels and tastes things um, way off the the charts. And he is very handy for judging when something is um, true, when something is accurate, where something is hidden, Um, which of course means that he's um, attracted the interest of various government agencies. So that's all the sort of stuff that's going on in the background. The the next book, the book that's making it into a series, is called *The Bones of Paris*, and that will be out in September uh, this year, two thousand thirteen. *The Bones of Paris* finds Harris Stuyvesant in Paris in nineteen twenty nine, when the exciting possibilities that were the artistic world and the writing world of um, the American community in Paris are beginning to fall apart. It's been a long hot summer. Um, the Americans who count are all either going home or moving to the south of France. And you are aware that the stock market crash is just around the corner, although it's September. So nobody else knows, but it's one of those fun places where a historical writer can, can play on, um, the mirror aspects of history and, um, and, Count on the reader's knowledge of certain events that the characters don't know are about to happen. So, so that's that's what's coming up.
0: That sounds like a lot of fun. So, are you? This one is coming out, so it must have been delivered to your publisher a while ago. Are you writing something right now?
1: Um, I have just got the proof pages of Bones of Paris off uh, yesterday. I mailed them off,
0: oh, and congratulations. i am now.
1: I, I am now um gazing at a stack of books about Japan in nineteen twenty four. Oh. So that was that would be my next one. Straight into the into the fray.
0: That's great. Congratulations, by the way. That must be a huge relief getting the proof copy off. I never have to read it again. <laughs> <laughs> <No>. <laughs> but someday you will. <laughs> Oh, that's great. So thank you so much for agreeing to talk to us. It's been wonderful. Thank you,
1: Carolyn. It's been a joy.
0: And thank you for listening to our podcast. Once again, I am CP Leslie, your host. And today I've been talking with Laurie R. King, author of Garment of Shadows. You can find out more about her at www.laurierking.com. That's one word, Laurie R. King. Goodbye for now. And thank you for listening to new books in historical fiction.